Hello, <laughs> welcome to Vivid Vision Podcast. I know I've been away for, for some time now, but I'm back now. How have you been? <laughs> All right, let's go straight to today's uh, podcast. Uh, you know, a lot of people say what you don't know doesn't kill you. Yeah, but is, is that really true? Is it true that what you don't know does not uh, kill you? Well, during the week, I had a conversation, an interview with Shet Galaska. Shet Galaska is someone that has been with diabetes. Yeah, diabetes for 40 years. You see, at a very young age. I think it was 1981. All right. Shed Galaska is going to be sharing with us his experience so far. He's going to be sharing with us his experience so far living with diabetes. How he has managed it and how one can avoid it. Shed Galaska is from Massachusetts in the United States of America. All right. Welcome to the show. I am Shevo Umeni. Welcome to the Vivid Vision Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and making your choice to win. This is the show we normally motivate and inspire. We give you tactical strategies to implement on your way to greatness. And now, here is your host, Shevo Umeni. Hello. Welcome to Vivid Vision Podcast. Today promises to be an exciting one because I have with me today Shet Galaska. Shet Galaska is from Massachusetts in the United States of America. He is a graduate from the University of Hartford with a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration. Shet Galaska is a person who has had diabetes for so many years. He sees this disease from the perspective of those that have this disease. So today, we'll be learning from Shet Galaska his experience, how it has affected him, and how he has been coping with this. Mr. Shet Galaska, you are welcome to Vivid Vichon Podcast. Thank you, Shevo. So, Mr. Shed Galaska, please, can we can we know you? I know I've introduced you a bit, but we'd like to know you better. Sure. Um, well, let me start by saying that I've had type 1 diabetes since 1981. So I've been living with this for well over 40 years, and I've done pretty well with it. But it's not an easy disease to deal with. You have to take your insulin. You have to watch your food. Uh, you have to exercise and make all those things work together. But I've managed to, to get through it without uh, too much of a problem. In fact, I've, I've done well enough that the Jocelyn Diabetes Center at Harvard University asked me to become part of a study. So uh, they did a bunch of tests on me. And, you know, one day when I die, they'll be taking some tissue samples uh, to try to help uh, them develop better ways of dealing with the disease. But having lived with it for all that, that time, I've got a different perspective on it than the medical community does. And one of the things that I've found is that a lot of diabetics feel 
ashamed of having the disease because they think they brought it on themselves. What they've been told is that diabetes starts because you're overweight or you ate too much sugar or you were sedentary. Uh, and all of these things are what causes diabetes. But in fact, they don't. Uh, they contribute to having a lack of control of blood sugar later on after you have the underlying causes. But the underlying causes are genetic. And that's one of the key things that I try to teach people. Um, uh, one of the best things that happens to me is after I give a, a class or a course, people will come up to me and tell me that the best thing I told them was that they didn't cause the disease and they didn't have to feel guilty or ashamed of it anymore. So that's a very powerful thing. So that's the first point I'd like to make. If you have diabetes, don't beat yourself up because you think you brought it on yourself. You didn't. Now, Shavu, if you'd like, it's probably the best thing to do would be to explain how a normal body works and then why diabetes comes into play and makes such a mess of things. Yeah. Did, did, you, did, you, did you say you lived with it for 40 years? Yes. Oh, that's, that's a long time. It, it is a long time. And, you know, people who take care of it can live for a good long time. On the other hand, if you don't take care of it, you are going to have some problems. One thing that happened to me that really struck me is that uh, I, I was in business. I, I was president of a company for most of my business career until I retired. A few years ago, I ran into a former employee. This guy had worked for me probably 35 years ago, and he worked for me for quite a long time. So I, I knew him well. Well, when I talked to him the last time, he was in a wheelchair. He had diabetes, and he didn't take care of it at all. He told me that he finally couldn't take the pain anymore. So he went to the hospital, and they amputated one leg on one day, and they took the other one on the next day. So he let it go totally. Uh, he was a relatively young man, and he was probably 40 years old or so when all this happened. But he died. He, he died uh, two years after I spoke to him on the telephone. So that's how serious this is. And the more people I talk to, the more I realize that these complications and early deaths are out there. They're out there today, even though we know how to deal with diabetes. So we have to make sure people understand what they're up against and that it's something they need to take care of. One of the problems with the most common type of diabetes, it's called type 2, is that you can have the underlying cause for years while the, the uh, disease works its damage. And you don't even know it because the symptoms aren't very severe. It's the kind of thing where you could talk yourself into thinking, well, I'm going to be the one person who can have this and doesn't have any complications. But they're only kidding themselves because it's just a matter of time before the damage happens to your body and you can no longer produce enough insulin. Let me go back, Shavo, and explain just how normal bodies operate. It'll, it'll make everything I say a lot more sensible. Okay, please go ahead. Okay, we have, when we eat food, it gets digested into sugar. The particular sugar that it gets digested into is called glucose. The glucose winds up in your bloodstream 
and it gets carried to every cell in your body. Now, when your pancreas, which is an organ in the body, senses that that glucose level is high in the blood, it produces a hormone called insulin, and it releases it into the blood. Insulin's job is to be a key. It travels along with the glucose to the body cells, and it unlocks the, the cell walls so that the glucose is allowed to enter. When it gets into the cells, it's used for energy. And uh, even more important than that, it gets removed from the bloodstream. So within an hour and a half after eating, your body has compensated for it. It's recognized the excess glucose and removed it from the bloodstream. Now, in diabetes, a couple of things happen depending on what kind of diabetes you have. In my case, I've, I've got type 1. And in my case, what happened is that something attacked my pancreas. Uh, it's an autoimmune disease so that my own body attacked my pancreas and it killed off all the insulin-producing cells. So my body doesn't produce insulin. The only uh, way we can manage it is by taking insulin to replace the, the hormone that I no longer have. And unfortunately, the only way to take insulin is with injections because it breaks down in digestion. Now, the other type, uh, type 2, is responsible for 95% of all the cases of diabetes out there. So when we're talking about the diabetes problem, we're really talking about type 2. Now, that's a different disease from type 1. They both result in high blood sugars, but they operate differently. With type 2, there's a condition called insulin resistance that occurs. We don't know why it happens, but it does happen, and it does just what the name suggests. Your body becomes resistant to insulin, which means that it takes more and more insulin to open those cell walls. When the insulin resistance gets bad enough, your pancreas starts to wear out, and it can't produce enough insulin to let that glucose out of the blood and into the cells. So this is where the, the problem comes in. When you have insulin resistance get to that point, you really need to start watching what you eat and exercising and doing various other things that will help you control that blood sugar. Uh, drugs are certainly a, a, a big part of it too. There are a lot of type two medications out there that can help, but that's all they do, they help. We see advertisements over here in the United States all the time. Uh, I don't know if Nigeria is like this or not, but. We have the drug companies that put out these ads that show all these happy diabetics are all smiling and active and they advertise how their blood sugar is under control because they took this particular medication. But with every single medication out there, none of them work unless they're taken in conjunction with control of diet and exercise. So that's another point I'd like to make. Uh, there is no such thing as an easy fix for type 2 diabetes. It always boils down to diet, diet and exercise. Thank you very much, Mr. Shet. So what you're saying is the type 1 category of uh, diabetes grows, if not well taken care of, will develop into stage 2. Is that correct? No. Uh, there are actually two different diseases. Uh, with type 2, the underlying cause is insulin resistance. With type 1, 
it's some sort of an autoimmune disease where the body turns on itself and it kills the insulin producing cells. Um, people think sometimes that if they've got type two and the doctor prescribes insulin that they have turned into a type one, but that's not true. Uh, it, you know, insulin is just a, a medication that is sometimes used for type two as well as type one, but they truly are different diseases. As far as the way they start and the way they continue, they're different. But on the other hand, the dangerous part of both of them is that they result in high blood sugars. And the high blood sugars are really the dangerous part of it. I once asked my endocrinologist what was worse in her experience, whether type twos were worse off than type ones with controlling blood sugar. And what she told me is that uh, it doesn't really matter what type it is. Either the patient is aware of what's going on and works to control their blood sugars, or they don't. Uh, she said, a well-controlled type one like you will have great success. A poorly controlled type two will not. And it's just because they are allowing their blood sugar to get to a dangerous level and stay that way. Now, what happens when your blood sugar is high? Over time, and it does take time for this to happen, because that sugar goes throughout your entire body, it'll damage virtually the entire body. It affects your kidneys, your heart, your circulatory system, uh, and many other parts. The, you've probably heard of people getting amputations and typically it's the feet or the legs that get amputated. The reason for that is that your feet are the farthest part of your body from the heart. So they're the ones that get the lowest blood pressure, and that's where the damage from the blood sugar takes the first effect. And what will happen is that th th those tissues in your foot, they just don't get the nutrition or the circulation they need to, to survive. So they wind up, you know, they wind up turning black and having to be amputated. Um, but the same thing goes for the rest of your body. If, if, you're, if you're in bad enough shape that you've had an amputation, the doctors have to figure that whatever is happening to your feet is happening in the whole rest of your body as well. Um, and that's true. The damage is the whole circulatory system. You're more likely to have cardiovascular disease or kidney disease. And it's just a matter of time before those things get really serious as well. So it's, it's nothing to, to not take seriously. You know, even though you may not feel like you're, you're in bad shape, you will, you will be because uh, the damage is happening. Yeah. Now, another thing yeah. I'd like to talk about a little bit is that many people I found don't really understand why diet is such a big deal. And uh, I'd like to talk about that a bit. When we eat foods, we eat uh, carbohydrates, protein, and fats. Proteins and fats don't raise your blood sugar, but carbohydrates do. In fact, when you look at carbohydrate, and carbohydrates are all over the place. They're, they're in bread. You know, obviously, they're in, in, in candy and sweet things like that. Um, but we have to be able to identify where those carbohydrates are, because even you might be eating a piece of bread and thinking, well, it's no big deal. It's not really that sweet. So it's probably not that bad for me. 
but you can take some pretty dull tasting uh, starches, like to take a uh, ear of corn that hasn't fully ripened. It's not as sweet as it will be later on, but even eating that unsweet corn will raise your blood sugar. In fact, one gram of that will digest into one gram of sugar. So that carbohydrate really is sugar. Um, and it has to, has to be dealt with uh, carefully. Now, the biggest problem tends to be that people can't identify where the carbohydrates are. And what I suggest they do is to just take a hard look at what they're actually eating every day. Generally, uh, you know, it, at least in, in my case and in, 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 in America for the most part, people's diets don't change that much. You'll get up in the morning and you'll have probably the same general thing for breakfast. You might have some toast and coffee and glass of water or a banana or something, but whatever it is that you have for breakfast, they tend not to change that much. So you can look at what you're having for, for breakfast. Um, I don't know if you have Raisin Bran over there, Chevo. It's a, a dry cereal. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's got bran flakes, which are carbohydrate. It's got raisins in it, and they generally sugarcoat the raisins. And then you generally put it in a bowl, and you, you put milk in there. So every component of that particular food is carbohydrate. Raisin bran is very high in carbohydrate. So that's one thing you can look at and say, well, maybe instead of eating that raisin bran, I should eat something else. You know, you could you could eat, uh, say, a, a piece of fruit uh, instead. The fruit will still have carbohydrate in it, but just not as much as the raisin bran. Or you might have a, a piece of bread with butter on it. You know, that, that'll, again, have some carbohydrate, but not as much. But that's the kind of thing I like people to do is look at what you're eating and figure out where the, the high carbohydrates are. Now, when you go to other meals in the day, how, how many meals a day do they typically eat in Nigeria, Shavo? We have three over here. Yeah. Well, whatever the other meals are, you know, you can do the same process. Now, I'm at a bit of a loss because I don't know what kind of publications are available in Nigeria, but I can tell you that over here, there are books you can buy that will tell you the carbohydrate content of various foods. Uh, but you do have the web, and you can go on the web and yeah. put in carbohydrates. You know, put you put in carbohydrate banana, for example. A typical banana has 25 grams of carbohydrate. So you'll know that. And then you can put in any other food you want to check on and see whether it's higher or lower and then modify your diet to eat the lower carbohydrate foods. Okay. Okay, are you, are you, are you saying that uh, if anybody has diabetic, if anybody's diabetic, it's good to take more uh, carbohydrates? Is it what you're saying? I'm sorry, could you say that again, please? I mean, if um, somebody is diabetic, is it advisable for the person to take more of carbohydrates? No. Well, here's the thing. It depends on what you're going to be doing. Uh, diabetes is really a complicated thing to, to deal with. 
as a general rule, the less carbohydrate you eat, the less sugar will be put into your body. And that's a good thing. So we do try to, to limit the amount of carbohydrate we have. Now that is if you're just having a normal day where you're not doing anything extraordinarily physical. However, if you are going to be doing something physical, if you're going to go out and play uh, football and you're going to be burning you know, a lot of energy doing that, well, then you want to eat a lot of carbohydrate because what happens is that your muscle will absorb that sugar right out of the bloodstream and it'll use it for energy. So you, you actually need more carbohydrate in that case. So it's something you just have to know in managing it. By the way, this is kind of a funny aside. I, when I work out that the gym I go to uh, has all kinds of people in it. And a friend of mine is from Senegal. Senegal was in the World Cup this past year, and he was very proud of that. And he told me that, he said, you know, you people use the term football over here. I will fight to the death about what the game of football looks like. So he was he was joking with me, but his point was there's only one real game of football, and that's the one that we play in, in the Senegal and, and the rest of the world for that matter. So anyway, uh, the thing with diabetes is that I can't give you hard and fast rules to obey because so much depends on what your activity level is, what other health problems you may have. It's really something that you should see a medical professional about to get particular advice for yourself. Okay. Uh, uh, Chet, I, I, I want to ask you, at what age did you uh, experience? Okay, you told me 40 years ago. Yep. We have this we have this belief that I personally I have this belief that diabetes, people who are of age, old people are prone to have diabetes. And and that's true. The reason for that is that you know we're talking about type two where that is true. The problem there is that insulin resistance lasts for your whole life. And even if you're, you're able to watch your, your diet, uh, the insulin resistance eventually will get bad enough that you're going to wind up with diabetes in most cases. And that's the reason older people are more susceptible to it. It's that they've lived long enough that the insul insulin resistance had a, has had a longer time to do its damage. Oh, so there again, this isn't because people did something to, to cause the disease. Uh, the reason they got the insulin resistance is because of genetics. Uh, yeah. it, it actually isn't because it requires you to be aware of what you're doing, what you're eating, really 24-7. I mean, I'm always thinking about my blood sugar. It's, there's something about diabetes that non-diabetics don't understand. When I get up in the morning, my first question is, what's my blood sugar? During the day, if I'm being active uh, and, and I know I'm, I'm starting to drop my blood sugar, the question is, what is it? How low is it? Do I have to eat something to bring it back up? It's really a balancing act, Joe. Uh, you know, I, I compare it to being on a tightrope. You, know, you can be on the tightrope and you, things are going along fine. You know, everything is stable. You're not burning too many carbohydrates. Uh, 
but then the minute something happens when you make a little bit of a move one way or the other you got to regain your balance otherwise you're going to fall off the wire well that's kind of what handling your blood sugar is about you can be going right down the, the middle and everything is fine but then something happens and that something can be something as innocuous as stress if all of a sudden you wind up stressed that will raise your blood sugar the reason that happens is that your liver believe it or not actually produces sugar and when the liver senses that you're under stress it releases the glucose into your bloodstream because it thinks it's the old fight or flight idea are you familiar with that what the fight or flight it's a term that we use for yeah. when you're stressed out it's, it's it's like being in a battle you know you, you realize you're in trouble and that there's something bad going to happen here uh you know the, the analogy is that you know somebody's coming at you with a weapon well you've got two recourses one is to fight and the other is to run away that's why they call it fight or flight oh, either, okay. okay okay either either way you know your liver senses that you have that stress and you are going to need the energy to do either one of those things either you're going to need it to run away real fast or to stand and fight so when the liver senses that you're stressed it releases that sugar into your blood so that raises your blood sugar even though you haven't eaten anything that was one of the things that was hard for me to understand for a while because my blood sugars would be high for no particular reason and then i i learned that that's what the liver does so it's just it's it's a complicated thing really okay thank thank you uh, very much uh, mr shet now i want i want you to tell our listeners because i believe a, a lot of them will have questions in their mind mm-hmm. now you, you talked about amputation amputation like cutting oh, off oh, the oh, amputations yes 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 i'm i'm asking you uh, uh, did you uh, at any time did you at any time have uh, your leg cut or any part of your body and how did you deal with it i have not Okay. Uh, yeah, I have not. Uh but that's something that's in the back of my mind. You know, I know that that is what can happen. Uh, just like that that uh employee of mine that I told you about. Here's the guy who lost both of his legs below the knee. You know, just a horrible thing. But I'll, I'll tell you another story that I heard. I I used to give uh, classes before COVID to a, a, a organization called the Men of Color Health Awareness Program. This was uh, black men that came in to learn about various health issues and one of them was diabetes and I would do a course for 3 weeks with them. And I got to know a, a lot of guys through this. Now, unfortunately, uh you know african africans african americans they're genetically more likely to get diabetes that's that's just a genetic fact and with these guys there there was a lot of histories of diabetes in that group and also with relatives of people in that group one guy who was about 60 years old 
he told me that uh, one of his sons, who was like in his early 40s, he had gone fishing at the ocean and he had diabetes and he didn't wear any shoes. So he's out there on the beach and he, he cut his foot. And here again, he, he didn't go to the hospital right away. It wound up getting, getting infected and he's going to lose his leg. So these things happen and it's not always people who are older. You know, it can be young people too who don't pay attention. There was another instance that I saw in a movie. It was produced uh, probably a couple of years ago about diabetes. And one of the main uh, subjects of the movie was a younger guy. He was in his mid-20s. He was a rapper, liked to dance and, and rap and all that. He wound up cutting his, his foot. And here again, it got infected. And they tried to save his, his uh, toe, but they couldn't. So there's a guy who was very young, and he had the, the effects, you know, at, at that very young age. So it's not a function of how old you are or even how long you've had the disease. It's how well are you controlling it. Uh, in his case, he was obviously not controlling it at all. And if you wind up having diabetes and eating a lot of sugar and sweet stuff, you know, your, your blood sugar will it'll be high and it'll do damage pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, it's really a, a function of how, how high your blood sugar is uh, on, a, on a regular basis. You know, one thing I might mention is that it's not temporary high blood sugars that, that cause the damage. We all have temporary high blood sugars. So even people who don't have diabetes will have a temporary high blood sugar after they eat. It'll come down automatically. Uh, so it doesn't stay that high. But in my case, I'll have uh, high blood sugars after I eat too, but I get it down. Uh, but the problem is that if you don't get it down, if you just continually eat all that carbohydrate and you don't do anything to work it off, then you will have a high blood sugar, you know, day after day after day, and that's what causes the damage. I'll give you an idea of, of how, how this can be. In one class I gave, one guy asked me uh, about his blood sugar. He said, well, mine's 400. Well, a normal blood sugar is under 125. So 400 is way, way high. Even for a diabetic, it's extremely high. In my case, my blood sugars on the average run around 155, which is quite a bit higher than normal, but it's about as good as a diabetic can get for a variety of reasons. But if you compare his 400 to my 155, he has got a lot of blood sugar floating around in his blood and it's every day, all day. I, and I told him, you know, you, you gotta see a doctor, you gotta get yourself straightened out here because, you know, this guy was only maybe, I don't know, 26, 27. You know, if you don't take care of it, you're not gonna live a long life. So I assume that he did. Uh, is it is it uh, curable? Is it something that can be cured, or you just have to manage it? No, no, it cannot be cured. If you have insulin resistance, you have got it for the whole rest of your life. It's going to be there, and you're going to have to deal with it, and it's only going to get worse. So that doesn't mean that you're inevitably going to have complications. It just means that you've got to get into the practice of managing uh, diet and exercise. 
but we have no cure for insulin resistance. As far as the, the pancreas goes, uh, with my autoimmune disease, uh, my, my body is, is so good at killing off insulin producing cells that we haven't figured out a way to stop it. So at the present time, both type one and type two are incurable. This can be a little confusing though, because the medical community just recently has started messaging in what I think is a, a better way. Uh, they've come out and said that it is not curable. For a long time, they did use that term cure. And I used to talk to my doctors and everybody I could, I could talk to about it and tell them it's not curable. You know that this condition is not going to go away. What they were doing is they were saying that if the line between diabetic and non-diabetic is 125 uh, milligrams per deciliter, which is what it is, they were saying that if you drop your blood sugar below that level, then you are cured. But you're only cured for as long as you keep it below. You know, as soon as you eat some, some carbohydrates, it's gonna bounce back up over that level. So just to say that it's cured uh, is just misleading. You know, for, for most of us, we think that uh, a cure means that it's completely gone and it isn't coming back. And in that sense, neither one of the, the types is curable. It's too bad, you know, diabetes has been around for a long, long time, and you would hope that we would have had a cure by now, but, uh, but we don't. Matter of fact, to, to give you a little history, uh, diabetes was diagnosed thousands of years ago. The ancient Egyptians recognized diabetes, but up until 1925, there was no way of even treating it. Uh, what they would do over the years is they had people called, uh, what were they called? Well, there were people who would, would uh, actually taste the urine of patients. And if they could taste a sugar in the urine, the doctors wouldn't even bother trying to treat them because they knew it was hopeless. Whether it was type one or type two, uh, these people were gonna die of it. But then in the 1920s, we figured out that insulin was what kept the blood sugar in control. And we managed to refine it enough that people could take the insulin. And once we were able to do that, all of a sudden there was a way of treating the, the disease. Uh, and even today, this is how we treat uh, type one and in some cases type two. You know, you wind up taking those injections, but uh, they don't cure the disease, they just manage it. The uh, interesting story about the insulin is that when they discovered that insulin was the, the thing that, that controlled blood sugar, it turned out that the way they found it is that they were experimenting on dogs. They were doing some experiments on digestion and they removed the pancreas from these dogs that they were doing the experiments on. Well, one of these dogs wound up, well, in fact, all the dogs that didn't have the pancreas, they started urinating uncontrollably, which is a sign of diabetes because the, the body is trying to get rid of all that excess sugar. Well, a janitor who was supposed to clean the floors didn't do it that particular night. One of the scientists came in and saw all the, the urine spilled all over the floor and he wondered what that was all about. Well, he tested it for sugar, and sure enough, uh, they found sugar in that urine from the dogs. 
And because they knew that the only variable was the pancreas, they realized that the pancreas was the source of whatever was the controlled blood sugar. So they started doing experiments on the various hormones in the pancreas, and they finally figured out that uh, insulin was was the the magic, the magic thing. So once they they figured that out, they started injecting it into people, but it was a, a tough thing because people developed infections and sores. Uh, they had low blood sugars, which uh, that's a scary thing too. Uh, but they didn't know what the low blood sugar was. People would go into uh, comas with, with that. Uh, so it wasn't a reliable thing until a couple of Canadian researchers decided that the reason the insulin wouldn't work is that it was not purified enough. So in 1925, they made us to purify the insulin well enough that it was successful without having all the side effects that they had experienced previously. And once that got proven, Chevo, this is an amazing thing. These guys' names were uh, Banting and Best. They were a couple of Canadians who, who did all this work. When they finally realized what they had, they got something like 25 or 30 patents on the entire process. And then they sold every one of the patents for $1 to the University of Toronto because they said this was something that belonged to people. It didn't belong to them to make money off of. So they gave it away, which is pretty amazing because within a year, uh, we had insulin available to hundreds of thousands of people who would have died without it. So it's a, it's a pretty cool story. Mm. Oh, thank you very much, Chet. Chet, there's, there's something that happened in, in, in Nigeria. It happened to me. I had an ulcer, ulcer, this stomach uh, issue, right? You know it, right? Yes. Okay. I suffered from it for, for so many years. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I always went to the hospital for tests. I did x-rays. I didn't know what was wrong. I even spent all the money I had. That was some years ago. Yeah. I became I became more hungry. You know when you are hungry, it it causes ulcer too or it affects ulcer, right? Mhm. So it was not detected that it was an ulcer. So how is it now? Yeah, I, I said I just manage it. I'm good now. Okay. Yeah, but but what I'm what I'm saying is they didn't know what was wrong until until one day a doctor assumed. He, he asked me what was wrong with me, how I felt, how it was going on in my body. Yeah. So I explained and he just concluded, it's an ulcer. What I'm saying is, is there not supposed to be uh, a facility, an instrument to check this? So that when somebody comes, you just check it and know that this person has ulcer. Because I feel that uh, the diagnosis is all about assumption and assumption. They assume that this is an ulcer 
Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there an instrument to check these things? Just like, uh, let's talk about diabetes now. Is there an instrument to ch- check it? Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's, it's pretty easy. You can even check it at home. Uh, there are um, blood glucose meters that are they're small. Uh, they can fit in your pocket. And what you can do is prick your finger with a lancet to get a little drop of blood out of it. And you, you put it in this unit and it'll tell you within a, a minute or so what your, your blood sugar is. So you can check it in that way, but that is not actually the most accurate way to determine whether you've got diabetes. There is a test called the A1C that measures your average blood sugar over the previous three months. Remember I told you that the uh, temporary highs aren't really what causes the damage? It's really the average blood sugar. And that's what the A1C measures. If your A1C is over a certain level, they'll say you've got pre-diabetes, and if it's higher than that, uh, they'll tell you that you've got diabetes. In any case, they will tell you by that whether you have insulin resistance. The curious thing, this insulin resistance is really a dangerous condition, but we don't have a good way to determine whether you have that or not. The way they diagnose insulin resistance is whether your blood sugars are elevated. Uh, because they, they figure if your blood sugar is elevated, then you must have insulin resistance. You know, you, you were talking about your, your ulcer. I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened when I got di- diabetes. I was, I never really got sick very much. In fact, I still very rarely get sick. But I was really laid up with what I thought was a flu for a couple of days. I was on, a, you know, I was on my back for good solid two days. I could barely move. Well, then I got better. Uh, but a couple of months later, things started happening that were kind of weird. Like I would be thirsty all the time. You know, I was urinating all the time. Uh, and that wasn't normal. But I didn't think much of it. It was something I could deal with. But I finally went to a, a health insurance company on, on business. That when I was in the waiting room, they had a bunch of pamphlets there about various conditions. I just happened to pick the one up about diabetes. And when I read it, I realized that I had all the symptoms except for the ones that applied to women. So I figured, well, that's that. Uh, I made an appointment with a doctor. Uh, and I didn't even have a doctor at that time. I made an appointment with this guy and went to see him. And he asked me what brought me here. And I said, well, I think I've got diabetes. And he gave me a look like, yeah, like you and every other hypochondriac comes in here with their own diagnosis. But he took a blood sample and came back a few minutes later and he told me, you've got diabetes. And so that, that's how that diagnosis happened. Oh, okay. That's, that's quite different because, okay, now this is, you could get that because uh, you are in the Western world. Yeah, and and also there are a lot of people that just die here. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't discover it. They don't know what's wrong with them until it's gotten to the point of death. Right. So, well, what's your what's your advice for the people who don't know they have it, people that have it, and the people uh, that don't have it? What's your advice? 
Well, you should know. Well, you should know the common symptoms. If you are thirsty all the time, which means you're going to be drinking a lot of water or whatever all the time, uh, you're going to be urinating a lot. Uh, being always thirsty and always urinating, those are two of the, the big tip-offs that you've got diabetes. If you're losing weight and you can't figure out why, uh, that, that's another uh, indicator. And th those are the simplest ones, Stevo. I, 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 I would say uh, constant thirst, constant urination, losing weight. If you're experiencing those, then you very well might have diabetes. Okay. Now, now let me ask for the for the married people: Does it affect their hormones? Does it affect their sexual life? Their sexual performance? I suppose it depends on how well you control it. Um, you know, I, in my experience, uh, no, there, there's not a problem. You know, <laughs> I mean, we all get older, Chevo, you know, and, and uh, you know, nothing works quite the way it used to, but that's a function of getting older. It's not, it's not necessarily because of diabetes. Um, so I, I can't really speak to that, uh, you know, my initial reaction is no, that there, there shouldn't be an impact from that. But on the other hand, you know, this, it is a disease that affects your circulatory system. And, you know, th those parts of your body that are involved in that activity, they're going to get damaged just like the rest of your body is. So if you're really not taking care of it, I, I suppose you really could have some, some effect there. Yeah, was there a particular time that you you felt like giving up that you were tired of it and how did you overcome it i have not experienced that and i'll, I'll tell you why i understood about this disease and how serious it was you know right from the get-go when my doctor first told me that i had this i just decided that uh, i was going to take care of it now, back then, we didn't have the kind of uh, modern technology that we have now. Uh, and I just told myself, well, from now on, you're going you're gonna to take at least one injection a day for the rest of your life unless they cure this thing. Uh, I had a wife. I had, uh, at that time, I had one child. Another one was to come a year later. And just for them alone, I decided that I was going to do the best I could to deal with this. And really, I, I do get tired of it, Joe. I do. Um, I get sick and tired of the ups and downs and, you know, worrying about the food and, you know, all the really complicated stuff that goes into and, this. And, and, you have to, and you have to take medications, right? Drugs. I, I take insulin. I, I have to give myself insulin shots. So, yeah, I mean, it's... There's a lot to it. I mean, if we had another couple hours, we could probably cover a lot of these details. But diabetes, it's, it's a real, it's a hard thing to do. And, but you know, even, yeah, though, I, even though I get yeah. fed up with it, I've got a wife and family, and now I've got some grandchildren. Uh, it never yeah. crosses my mind to give up because you, you can't give up. You know, when you give up, 
it's it's clear that you're going down a bad road. You you will, you know, you you could go blind, you kidney disease. I mean, all of this bad stuff will happen. So you just can't have that state of mind where you're you get tired of and say, well, I'm not going to deal with it. Although I know people do. Uh, you know, one guy told me that his father had type two diabetes. And he was just taking a break from it. She was, you know, for a few months, he wasn't going to worry about what he ate or anything else. And I just kind of shook my head to myself and I thought, well, this guy has no idea what damage he's probably doing to his body. You know, you, you just have got to decide that this is the way it's going to be and then do it. But that's, you know, a lot of people, especially in this country, you know, obviously, we have a lot of advanced medical care over here uh, that you, you may not have access to in, in Nigeria. But there are people who think they watch those advertisements on television for these diabetes medications where they show all these, you know, happy, healthy diabetics who you know, they lead you to believe are, are doing fine because of the medication. Uh, there are a lot of people who see those ads and they think that diabetes is easy to deal with. But you know what? Uh, it's not easy. Even if you take the medications, it's still not easy. And it's a shame, I think, that diabetics don't get the credit they deserve for fighting the disease. That's something else I'm, I'm working to change. That's one of the reasons I'm doing these podcasts, is to talk the way I am to, to people like you and, and tell you what, what reality is. And it's been great to to have you, and I believe a lot of people are going to learn from this. Thank I hope you so. Very much. Well, you're welcome. But there's one more thing I, I would like to know. I want to know: Does it uh, is it transferable, like from the father to this to the child? It doesn't go. Birth. Yeah, it doesn't go directly from the father to the child or the mother to the child. But what does get transferred is your, your genes. You have, even with type 1, you, you, you have genes that make you susceptible to getting these diseases. But it, that doesn't mean you're definitely going to get it. There are triggers involved in, in making those genes turn you into a diabetic. So, I mean, there are identical twins who have the same genetic makeup, one will become diabetic and the other won't. But it's just because one happened to hit the trigger and the other one didn't. Unfortunately, nobody knows really much about the triggers. They, they apparently lots and lots of them. Um, but the genetic part of it, we know for sure that's, that, that, that's what underlies diabetes of both types. In fact, the study was just completed where they identified 117 genes that are tied to diabetes. So that's, that's a lot of genes. And it turns out that a lot of them work together. So if you multiply out the various combinations of genes, it's an astronomical number uh, that can have an impact. And that's something else that we understand what the genes are, but we don't understand in detail how they all operate. And it may not be possible to even do that. In fact, it's so complicated that it's been said that no two cases of diabetes may be exactly the same just because of the genetic combinations and the triggers are, are so different and there are so many of them. 
So that's, yeah. you know, I mean, you can see there's a family history in diabetes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there are a few other things, Chevo, that, that are kind of interesting. It's not just the genetics and the trigger, but listen to, to these. These are factors that contribute to insulin resistance. You know, there's age, as we mentioned earlier, uh, stress, hormones, diseases, inflammation, sleep problems, uh, the way your body stores fat. Uh, there are some medications that, that can uh, uh, be a factor. If you look at all those things that I listed off, how many of them are within your personal control? Really, none of them. So aside from the, the genetic part of it, these other things can't be controlled by people either. That's why it's so unfair to blame people for getting diabetes. You know, uh, I think yeah. I mentioned earlier that they think, you know, you, you got it because you're overweight, you weigh too much sugar, and you're lazy. Well, none of those causes it at all. You know, they, they come into play in managing it, but they don't cause it. So yeah. that, that's, that's part of the unfairness. Thank you very much, Ed. We've spent uh, a lot of time. I really enjoyed it. Um, very grateful that you honored my invitation. I appreciate well, it. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Shevo. Um, really, I, I enjoyed this too. And I, I really I really believe if, if people hear this who don't know anything about diabetes, we will have done a lot of good. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Mr. Shet, in, in conclusion, a lot of people have heard you. They have listened to you. I believe they will have... Uh, they may want to reach you. How can they reach you? Maybe on social media, website. Do you have a book? Do you have a program? Do you have a course? Do you have a class? You can let us know. I do. Well, the easiest thing to do is go to the website. I, I think you've already been on the website. It's at challengediabetes.us. Okay. I said, what about your social media? Instagram or something. Believe it or not, Chevo, I do not do social media. Okay. I'm, uh... uh all right. Thank you very much, Mr. Chet Galaska from Mass. What's, what's the city? Yeah, your, your, your state. Oh, Where are you st from? My state? Mas is, yeah. It's Massachusetts. Yeah, I find it very difficult to pronounce that. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I give you, Cheryl, I give you credit for even trying to pronounce that. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot, even, even a lot of Americans, they find it difficult to pronounce that, you know, right? Well, you know, the funny thing is that Massachusetts is uh, it's not even an English word. It's, a, it's an American Indian word. Wow. So it's... Massachusetts. Did I get it right? Massachusetts. You did. Congratulations. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. It's really good to have you on the show today. Okay, Chef. And I want to have you another time. Okay, well, let's do it. All right. That is the end of uh, today's uh, podcast on Vivid Vision. And we have been on with Chet Galaska. I believe you have listened to him and you are encouraged. You have known a lot about diabetes, how to manage it and how to avoid it. Thank you very much for listening. 
follow us on Instagram at Shevisions. Shevisions is spelled S-H-E-V-I-S-I-O-N-Z. Vivid Vision is powered by Shevisions. Thank you for listening. See you again next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Vivid Vision podcast. Make sure to visit our website at sharevisions.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are streamed, so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found a value in this show, we would appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ShareVisions. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ShareVisions. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. ShareVisions. Inspired. Shared vision.